Today in our study of God's Word, we come to the close of Luke chapter 6. So please take your Bibles and turn there with me, if not already. Today, Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 43, reading to the end of the chapter in verse 49, as we see the Lord call us to consider a tree and its fruit and the way that we build upon the foundation that He has laid in His gospel. We find this reading today uh, in our ESVs on page 863. If you've not yet found it, Luke chapter 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, and reading today verses 43 through 49. Before we read God's Word, please uh, join me again in prayer as we seek His blessing upon it. Let's pray. O Lord, we confess that we are frail and empty constantly in need of your good care and your mercy upon your people. We come to you as those whose hearts are slow to hear and believe all that the prophets have spoken, even slower very often it seems, uh, to do what you have commanded. And yet you call us to obedience, you call us to walk with you even as we have prayed today asking for your mercy that we may walk in your ways and in all the commandments of your Son. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see this word that you have before us. Open it now to us and open us to you as you would expose us by your living and life-giving word. Give your spirit that it may take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives for the sake of Jesus and his name among the nations through your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. Here now, God's word as we find it. Luke chapter 6, reading verse 43 to 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Or again, does a bad tree bear good fruit? For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person... Out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, The stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he add a blessing. Uh, to both its reading and to its hearing this morning. If you've not been with us over the last several weeks, we have been examining Jesus' words in this Sermon on the Plain, and today we come to his grand conclusion. Today we close out this passage, and what we find is that Jesus is calling his disciples to action. That's what a good pastor does, a good preacher, especially at the end, uh, calls the congregation to action, and Jesus was the best preacher, and so it doesn't surprise us to see him here setting the example for preachers and congregations everywhere. 
reminding us that sermons are meant to make you do something. Not just meant to make you think something. Not, not meant to make you feel something down deep somewhere, but it's meant to call you to action. And that's what Jesus has been about and what he continues to be about in this sermon. Now, as he has been from the very beginning, so now at the close, Jesus is issuing this call to action as a way of dividing those who hear him. That's been a theme from the very beginning, you recall. There are some who are blessed, he said, and there are others who are cursed. There are some who are poor and they're weeping and they're hated and they're hungry. There are some who endure the afflictions of discipleship in Jesus' name, and they are the ones who receive his crown and glory, and then there are others, the rich and the full, the laughing and the popular, those who are content with the things of this world, those who have no desire to a life of following Jesus where he leads. Woe to them, he said, who are so easily pleased with the things of this world and so slow to follow. And throughout the sermon, Jesus has been dividing those who are listening to him, and he's doing it now again. Two kinds of trees, he says. Two kinds of treasures. Two ways of building on the foundation of Christ. And the difference between those two is obedience. It's hearing and it's doing the word of God. And this is how you can tell the difference, Jesus might say, between a disciple and a hypocrite, they will always be revealed by their obedience to Jesus' word. This is a solemn call today, but this is what we find from Christ. And this is the theme we're going to take up today, that obedience reveals the difference between a disciple and a hypocrite. Don't hear me incorrectly. Don't misunderstand what I'm telling you. Obedience doesn't create a disciple. It doesn't make you one of God's children. No one who is dead in sin can become a disciple by working just a little bit harder, but obedience will always reveal those who are walking with him and not merely hearing his words. Today we're going to approach this in, uh, in two points, dividing it as the ESV has it for us. And we're going to see first that the heart of a disciple cannot remain hidden. Secondly, Jesus will warn us that the claims of a hypocrite will come to ruin. Those are our two points today. That the heart of a disciple cannot remain hidden, but that the claims of a hypocrite will come to ruin. Let's take them in turn. We see first in, in verses 43 to 45, Jesus is calling his people, those who hear him today, to spiritual discernment. He's calling you to make a judgment call. And he's making a very bold claim. Jesus is saying that you can see the invisible inward work of the Holy Spirit of God by observing the outward life of those who claim to be Christians. You can see what he's doing in their lives. There are two interconnected principles that serve as the basis for this claim that Jesus is giving us. He says in verse 44 that each tree is known by its fruit. You can see something in these disciples. And then in verse 45, he tells us that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Two principles, two rules for discerning the claims of those who say that they are disciples of the Lord. He says you can see the work of God in their works. You can hear it in their words, in their conduct, in their conversation. You can see what the Lord is doing. And there is perhaps no simpler teaching in the New Testament than that Christians are able to spiritually discern what the Lord is doing in others and in themselves 
by seeing the way the Spirit is moving and the fruits that are produced. There's perhaps no simpler teaching in the New Testament, and yet for various reasons, many Christians are either unwilling to receive this teaching or, or we're unsure of what to do with it. Sometimes th that unwillingness comes from a good impulse, a desire to exercise Christian charity. And we saw already in this sermon that Jesus has preached these commands, judge not, condemn not. And, and you hear that word and you want to heed that word. You want to pay attention to the log that you know is in your own eye before you clear out the speck from your neighbors and you don't want to go beyond that word. And so you, you hesitate to be discerning about the claims of those who say they're following Christ because you know your heart, don't you? You know how often you've failed to live up to your own profession. You know ways that you have failed to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And sometimes a desire for charity, though, can, can really cause us to be less discerning than Jesus says we ought to be discerning. You can see a tree by its fruits. You can know a good and an evil person by the good and evil treasure that shows up in their lives. It's possible to make that judgment call. And then again, some Christians are hesitant to make this discernment because they're genuinely confused about the necessity of holiness in the life of the Christian. There are some quasi-Christian teachings out there that are, that are really pretty hands-off when it comes to the obedience of Christian duty. There are some that uh, will push the idea that it's enough simply to have made a decision for Jesus once a long time ago. Maybe 15, maybe 30 years ago, there was a twinge of something that felt almost like conviction of sin, and it came and it was gone, but, but you made that decision. You walked the aisle, you signed the card, whatever, whatever it was. And that's it, Right? There are others who will take a more theological approach. They'll tell us that since the New Testament days, we live now not under the law, but under grace. We are saved by Jesus' holiness that is on our behalf, that is outside of us, and not his righteousness that is, that is worked through us. And they'll tell us we are saved by a righteousness imputed to our account and not infused into our being. And that's true, actually. That's right, so far as we're talking about the doctrine of justification, how is one counted righteous in God's sight? No one will be justified before the Lord because of their own actions, because of their own piety, because of their own obedience to the Lord. No one who is dead in their sins and their trespasses can work their way into demanding and deserving God's favor. It doesn't happen, and that's true. And yet it's also true. As Romans chapter 8 tells us that those who are the sons of God are those who are being led by the Spirit of God. It's also true that those who have been saved by grace, Ephesians chapter 2, have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which the Lord has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is also true that God promises to be at work in his children, Philippians chapter 2, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And this has been a theme of Jesus' sermon thus far. Those who are following Jesus will show evidence of these things. They'll have a, a certain Christ-likeness about them that will be visible. They will be merciful as their father is merciful. When they're fully trained, they will be like their master. Jesus says that discipleship is visible in the lives of his people. 
teaching us that a, a disciple's heart cannot remain hidden. I think he's reminding us that the kind of discernment that goes into to hearing and, and, and discerning, recognizing this judgment call among God's people is an important thing that Jesus is calling us to, something that we need to hold on to and not let go of. It, it's important when the church is calling new officers. Every time you have to elect new deacons, new elders, every time you have to call a new pastor and you consider who is the man we should call, Will we go the way of the world? Will we look at his resume, his CV? Will we say, who is the most industrious person among us? Who is the real go-getter that we think might be able to go out and, and accomplish the goals and the aims that we have? Or will you go by the Lord's demands and, and judge a man by the godliness of his character? Will you be discerning? The Lord says you ought to be discerning. It's important. It's important when you have to choose ministries to support. Because you know that you get cards in the mail and they're from all sorts of organizations and they say, we're Christian, we're doing God's work in the world, but you need to dig a little bit deeper if you want to be a good steward of the things the Lord has entrusted to your care. You need to be discerning. You need to make a judgment call. It's important if you're trying to choose the right person to marry. And you want to know if there will be a spiritual compliment to you, if you can grow together in the Lord, and if you're compatible, if it's not light and darkness being joined together, you need to be able to make that judgment call. It's important if you're a parent, if you're a leader, if you are mentoring others, you want to know where to press the gospel message home to those that are in your care. You want to know the evidence of the Spirit to look for. You want to know the places where you can come alongside your children and encourage them and say, I see the Holy Spirit working in you here. You need to be discerning in your own life as you do what Peter told us to do. To be all the more diligent to make your calling and your election sure, you ought to be discerning in your own discipleship as you see the fruits of the Spirit that are being cultivated in your heart. It's important to know the weeds of sin that still need to be pulled up. And so Jesus is calling us to this work today of being discerning, discerning the claims of Christian discipleship. And actually, he's telling us that the process of discernment is really pretty straightforward. Disciples will always be known by their works and their words. They'll be known by the works of their hands. That's the point of verse 44. Each tree is known by its fruit. Now, at the top of Mount Major in New Hampshire, there is a vast spread of wild blueberry bushes. And so if you hike to the top of that mountain late in spring, you can refuel on nature's candy for the trip back down. You can pick berries to your heart's content. You can gorge yourself on these wonderful little berries. But there is another bush that grows right alongside them. And it grows a little bit lower to the ground, and the leaves look almost exactly the same. And it doesn't have fresh, plump blueberries. It has a slightly smaller, slightly darker, much more bitter fruit. And I know that because I was once foolish enough to pick a few of them and pop them in my mouth. And one taste is all that it takes to realize that this is not what you're looking for. This is not the fruit that you ought to be eating. And Jesus says this is the way it is with his disciples. Often one taste is, is all you need. And you can discern the fruits that they produce. You can discern the attitudes. You can discern the actions that come from them that show that the Holy Spirit is at work sweetening and changing their lives. And Jesus here is differentiating between good fruits and bad fruits. And, and in this section, he doesn't get any more specific than that. He doesn't lay out what exactly he's talking about, what makes the difference. And so I think we ought to interpret it at least 
in all the directives that he's given us previously in this sermon. Those who are producing good fruits are those who are more content with Jesus and what he offers and less content with the world. They're those who are forgiving to those who have wronged them, those that are charitable to those who need them, those that are patient with those who exasperate them. They are ones who, who are kind and generous. They are those who are increasingly merciful to the world around them. There's an unmistakable Christ-likeness in his followers. And the spirit of the Savior who would not break a bruised reed or quench a smoking flax, that's the kind of fruit that ought to be seen in the lives of his people. But we could, we could take it a little more broadly. In a, par a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And it raises a good question. What is the will of the Father who is in heaven? What is the good fruit that he wants his disciples to produce? What does he want to see in their attitudes and in their actions? What does it mean to be doing the will of the Father? Well, in Matthew chapter 7, the, the people protest. Didn't we preach and drive out demons? Didn't we speak wonderful and, and magnanimous things in your name? Didn't we do all of these very influential things and, and draw attention to the gospel? And Jesus says, that's not it. It's not about your spiritual industry and how many notches you can put in your belt and the number of people you've converted and the number of people you've led. What is the will of the Father in heaven? John chapter 6, this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. I will raise Him up on the last day. This is, this is where discipleship comes from. This is where all the fruit that we're talking about finds its beginning. It is in the fruit of holiness. It is in faith in Jesus implanted by the Holy Spirit. It is in repentance from sin. It's a desire to walk with the Lord in holiness. It is a, it is a pliability in the hands of the Scriptures that the Lord would mold us and shape us and we'd be willing to be molded by Him. And Jesus is calling you to discern these fruits. Discern them in your life. Discern them in, in the lives of those around you. Ask, what are the unmistakable evidences of the Holy Spirit at work in you? Because disciples are known by the works of their hands. Disciples are also known by the words of their mouth. Verse 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Better, I think, is the New International Version, if you've got it. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And there's a direct connection, the Lord is saying, between what you delight in and what you talk about. And sometimes this is hard to discern unless you spend a lot of time with somebody. Most, most of us, at least most of the time, can keep our language pretty clean and Christian in short bursts. We show up on Sunday and we use the right language and know what to say. And we know how to impress the other people. And, and even if there's a little bit of stress, we know how to cover it. But it's those that you get to see regularly when their guard is down. It's those that you get to know a little bit more intimately that you see when, when the gloves are off. Maybe you also saw that uh, that article this week is an interview with James Holzauer, who is currently running a winning spree on, on the game show Jeopardy, several million dollars into a, a several weeks long uh, achievement in this, in this game show. And they asked James Holzauer, who's now spent a lot of time on the set, what have you noticed in Jeopardy? And, and the thing that grabbed the headlines was, you know, when the cameras aren't running, Alex Trebek has a potty mouth. 
Maybe that's gossip. I don't know. I, I've never been on the set of Jeopardy. But that's what he wanted to tell everybody. He says, there's something that you don't know. And I've, I've seen him when the guard is down. And who has seen you when the guard is down? What does your speech reveal about what's in your heart? It's the speech that flows uninhibited when the pressures of life begin to mount. It's the speech that fills the idle time. It's the speech that isn't interested in the things of grace, but it's interested in all those salacious little details and the filth that are everywhere that is in our culture. It's the words that you utter when you think that nobody's listening. It's that evil treasure that secretly delights in the unregenerate things that loves to gossip, loves to bicker, loves to complain, loves to wound. It's the grumbling lip that is never satisfied with what the Lord has provided. But Jesus says the speech of his disciples is different. It's not perfect. It's not not faultless. What did James tell us? If anyone is able to bridle his tongue, he is a perfect man, able to keep the entire body in check. And your speech, if you're a disciple, it's not going to be perfect in this life. But it has been cleansed. It's been changed, like like the lips of Isaiah. A prophet of God, a man of unclean lips, among a people of unclean lips, and that... He was cleansed by the sacrificial fire of the Lord, the offering the Lord had made, and the coal was taken, and he was cleansed. And the lips of his disciples had been renewed to speak grace and contentment and mercy to others. The words of a disciple's mouth are are words of refreshment to those in need. It's, It's a word of encouragement. It's lips that are slow to anger. They are lips and words that give evidence to a changed heart. A heart that delights to know more of Jesus in his way. A heart that has been inflamed with a delight to become more like Jesus. And to walk with him in this world. And Jesus is calling you to discernment. Are these the things you see in your life? I need to issue a warning because I know the hearts of many of you in this room, thankfully. I know there are people here who are real disciples and yet have a very very tender conscience. And you're timid, and you're worried, and you are more on the fence and wondering and overly critical of your own faults. There are those who are discouraged by their progress in sanctification, but I also know there are those in this room who are overconfident, who never stop for a moment to consider the dangerous evidence of evil working its way into your words and your works. And maybe it'd be helpful to find somebody else in the church to help you discern. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's an elder, maybe it's a, a sibling or, or, or a spouse or a parent. Maybe it's a friend in the Lord or brother and sister in Christ. Maybe there's someone who can walk beside you and sit with you and help to discern the way the Lord is working in your life, who can encourage you with the grace that they see in you. They can, they can challenge you with the patterns of sin that are still there. I bet there's somebody here who knows you better than you know you. And Jesus says that that's normal because the heart of a disciple cannot remain hidden. And others can see it, and perhaps they can see it better than you can. The Lord is calling us to discernment. Now, secondly, Jesus is warning us that the claims of a hypocrite will come to ruin. We find this picking up in verse 46. Jesus reminds us that he's the one who has perfect discernment. He knows there are some, perhaps perhaps there are many, 
who come close enough to hear him and who pay enough lip service to be taken for disciples. Yet they have no intention of walking with him in truth, of following him in obedience. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? The very thought is ridiculous. There is a bold-faced contradiction in the person who uses that kind of language. Lord, you are my master, and yet I refuse to be mastered by you. I refuse to submit to your lordship, even though I want to call you Lord, because that's what I know I ought to call you. It's like the son who's told to clean his room, and he knows what to say. Oh, yeah, Dad, here I go. All right, here I go. And 30 minutes later, he's still playing Xbox. He's still busying himself with the things of the world. He's still distracting himself with a thousand other things other than what he's been called to do. And he's asked about his obedience. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I was just about to do that. I was just done with, with this thing. Here I go. Now, we've all been like that, son. <laughs> we have all from time to time, maybe more than we care to admit, we've all heard God's word very clearly, very plainly, and said, oh, yes, I go to do your will, O Lord, and then, and then turned our backs and refused. But Jesus is pointing to the kind of dishonor that hides in those words when they're not met with obedience. It is a taking of the name of the Lord on your lips in vain to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, and with your life to say, no, Lord, no. There's a contradiction involved. And submission to Christ is a facade if real obedience is lacking. And Jesus is reminding us that all those empty claims to obedience are not the same thing as discipleship. The Christian life doesn't consist in merely acknowledging with your mouth that Jesus is master if your hands and your heart and your way of life show that he has never mastered you. That you've never actually been exposed in your disobedience. That you have no endeavor, you have no desire. Forget the perfection, that's not what we're talking about. You have no desire at all to really follow him in obedience, to walk with him in holiness. That you have nothing of a desire to be conformed to his image. That's not discipleship. At best, it's self-deception. That's what James says. Those who hear and not do, be worried that, that they may be deceiving themselves. Not deceiving everybody else, because everybody else sees it. It's evident. You begin to deceive yourself. At best, it's self-deception. At worst, it is outright hypocrisy. And the end of all the claims of a hypocrite will come to ruin. And so Jesus, in his mercy, he gives us a test to see if we're walking with him, if we are his disciples, to see if our discipleship is solid or if it is merely a facade that we use to keep real obedience at a safe arm's distance. Real disciples, says Jesus, are those who not only come to him, those who not only hear him, but those who do the words that he speaks. And all along that trajectory, there is a temptation to stop and to content ourselves with something less than real discipleship. There were many in Jesus' day who came near to him. They loved to come and see what everybody else was fascinated about. They loved to see his miracles. They loved to be excited by the new things that he was saying and, and maybe even get close enough to have their bellies filled with heavenly bread on a, on a mountaintop somewhere and basketfuls left over from one tiny little lunch that someone had provided. And they loved to see what he would do and to come near and to be fascinated. Being fascinated with Jesus, dabbling in something intriguing isn't the same thing as discipleship. 
There were others who came. There were others who heard, those who wanted to listen, and yet they found what he had to tell them unacceptable and uncompelling. Think of the rich young ruler. He had the wherewithal to come close to Jesus, to seek him out, to acknowledge you are a teacher, a good teacher, rabbi, he says. You're the one who can tell me. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What advice can you give me? What way can you teach me? And at the end, Jesus made demands of him. He made the specific demands that would expose the area that he was unwilling to follow in obedience, and he wasn't a disciple. The scriptures tell us that he walks away sad. He came close. He heard Jesus' words, but he was no disciple because he would not do what Jesus commanded, and it is the same with many. There are baptized, professing Christians who sit week after week under the preaching of God's word. And maybe sometimes their minds are wandering. Maybe that pastor is droning on and on again about his favorite topic. In the best of circumstances, maybe the preaching is clear and it's compelling and it's winsome. And yet, still they go away content to think that merely hearing is enough to be counted as a disciple and they're unchanged. That's the way it happens, says Jesus. There's a whole parable about it, actually. The word goes forth, it's scattered like seed, and, and some of it falls on the path, it falls on soil, it's so packed and hardened by rebellion against God that it can't even soak in, that it's nothing but, but food for the birds, and it goes away as quickly as it's laid down. Some of it falls among the rocks, some of it falls among the thorns, and it can't put down roots, and it's choked, and it's strangled. And though it looks like discipleship for a time, it never grows into maturity, but who is the one in whom the word of God grows into discipleship? Is it the one who merely hears? Luke chapter 8, verse 15, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. That's what discipleship looks like, says Jesus. Those who come and those who hear and those who do. And if we stop short of the full weight of that statement, we need to be careful lest we prove to be deceiving ourselves. We need to be careful lest our claims to discipleship prove to be nothing more than lip service. That's why Jesus begins to speak, of us, speak to us later in this passage of the blessing of affliction in the disciple's life. It's trouble that will reveal the foundation, he says. It's hardship and it's persecution that he began his sermon with that will reveal the foundation that you've built upon. It will reveal the difference between the disciples who stand firm and the hypocrites who fall away. There are two kinds of disciples, those who hear and those who do. There are those who are content with the kind of faith that looks stable, that looks solid, that merely has the appearance of all the securities and all the comforts of a, a modern day dwelling. And then there are those who dig deep through obedience those who through patience and well-doing hold fast to the word of Christ and they labor to be found building on the promises of the gospel. And let's be honest, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two. But mark Jesus' words, you only have to wait for the rains to fall, you only have to wait for the floods to come and the foundation will be revealed sooner or later and you have seen it happen. 
for better or for worse, you've seen friends in the church assaulted with hardship when their children are rebellious, their bodies are failing, their finances are in turmoil. They are forced by God's provident hand that we confessed about earlier today to come to an end of themselves, to find that they have no resources and to find their own inadequacy in this life. And you've watched some walk away. You watch them cross their arms and you watch them say, if this is how the Lord is going to treat me, it's not worth it. What am I doing all this for? When will I I get a little bit back for me? When is the Lord going to treat me the way that I think I ought to be treated? And they furrow their brows, and it's surprising sometimes to see the ones who walk away because from the outside, their faith looks so impressive, so secure. But affliction revealed the fact that their claims had no foundation. They had no sticking power because there was no real work of the Spirit expressing itself in new affections and new repentance and new obedience, and you've seen it. I've also seen it happen the other way, and I have. I've seen it among many of you, and I've sat with you, and I've talked with you, and I've prayed with you. And I've seen you as you struggle to discern, is the Lord even working in my life? (laughs) This God that I profess to follow, this Savior that I say I believe in, is he doing anything at all? And how can I even tell if my faith is is real and firm? And I, I think I believe what he said, but what about... What about personally? How can I know? How can I see that it's true and that it happens? You get that phone call that you never expected. You get the diagnosis that takes over your entire plans for the next three and a half years. You are separated from the lifelong companion that you thought you could never live without. And you are left with nothing but Jesus. And the floodwaters rise and you come to an end of yourself and you find that Christ is the one who's keeping you from falling. He's the one keeping you clinging to him and trusting in him and obeying his word despite the pressures that are trying to make you collapse. And Jesus says it's his blessing to reveal what we sometimes struggle to see in ourselves and in others. But the heart of a disciple can't remain hidden, even though sometimes it takes a flood to reveal it. Now, Jesus has a deeper meaning in mind here. He's, he has in mind more than just the floods that face us in this life. He's talking about a much greater day. A much greater day when much greater hearts will be exposed. The day that we need to be prepared of that the prophets and the apostles spoke of. The day of Malachi chapter 4. Burning like an oven when all the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble. It's the day of 1 Corinthians 3.13 when All our work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. It's the day of 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10, the day of the Lord that comes like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's the day of the Lord Jesus Christ who will come to receive his own to himself. And cast all the doers of lawlessness into the lake that burns forever. Dear friends, the day is coming. And who can stand in that terrible day? That's the repeated question in the scriptures. Who can stand? The day that all the hypocrites and all their claims will come to ruin. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord when his judgment comes? And only those 
or standing on the rock that is higher than we are. Only, only those who are trusting in the foundation of Christ and his righteousness. It's only those who've heard his call and who've believed his promise. And by a work of the Spirit, not by their own industry and piety, but those who have become doers of his word because he's at work in them. And this is the grand hope. That his disciples will be revealed at the last day. Not for what they have done, but for what the Lord has done in them and through them. For the gift of his obedience given to them to, to make them his people, to make them more like himself. It's the great hope that we long for. It's a promise that we see. Our hope and our joy and our crown that at the last, those who have trusted in Jesus will be shown to be his disciples. And it cannot fail to happen. Because the Lord promises it. And he warns that those who are content merely to hear and never to do and never to follow, great is the ruin of that house, are the ending uh, words of this passage. I'm often tempted to, we have to come to the table next. And I don't want to come, as I often heard when I was a child and I was coming up in a church and it seemed that every week the pastor wanted to bring us from the sermon to the table and cause us to be wrestling in ourselves. And I don't know if I can come. I don't know if I'm worthy enough. The answer is no, you're not worthy enough to come to the table. But the truth is that the Lord will work in you if you're his. Not because you're worthy, but because he makes you his own. He makes you obedient to him. He gives you new affection. He works in your heart. We come to the table that we'll come to not because we are worthy, but because he is worthy. Not because we are strong, but because he is strong, because he is working in his people. And this is a table where we're revealed for who we are, where we come and see who he is in us and through us, when we're, when we're reminded that at the last we'll be revealed those who have come and who have obeyed his word and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ will be raised up with him. It's a table of communion and of fellowship. And it's a table of calling and, and koinonia with the Lord. And so we're going to come. And I, I don't know how to say it other than to end in, in what Christ says, that those who do not do will come to great ruin, but those who are his, who hear and who do and who believe and who follow, We'll stand firm on that last day. Please join me in prayer. O righteous Lord, we pray that you would expose our hearts before you as we come to you, O Lord. Make your work manifest in us. You are the one who knows us and keeps us and calls us to yourself. We pray that you would be at work in your people. O Lord, we pray that you would show us the mercy of Christ Jesus at the table. If any come, Today, weary of their own disobedience, we pray that we would come in repentance again and anew. We would see and experience the mercy of Christ Jesus and his perfect sacrifice given to those who are yet always imperfect in this life. The charity that he extends to those who are broken and burdened by sin. And yet we pray that we would see your persevering grace and the Holy Spirit given to your children to work out your good and perfect will in our lives. And so make us followers of you and doers of your word. For the sake of your name, we pray. In Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Come now to a table that proclaims to us the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ for his sinners, redeemed from the guilt and power of their sin, renewed.